Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, January 16th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So are we done yet? Are there still, I guess this week we still have, is it just MIT? But we're almost done with round two deadlines, right? Yeah, I mean, um, Stern was yesterday, which always boggles my mind. Someone has a a deadline on a Sunday. But yeah, um, Yeah. Sloan is upcoming this week and that should wrap up the top programs um, sort of early early year push for, for applications. All right. And so when do I get my interview invite? If I'm an applicant, I've just dumped in all my apps. Like how long do I have to wait here for those schools that do interview by invitation? Yeah, I mean, it really depends because <laughs> we've already seen TAPA release some interview invites. So um, schools take different approaches to this. Those that roll them out, tr- sort of trickle them out like TAPA, Yale's another example and so forth. They will take an early cut mm-hmm. at their data and, and get some invites out the door very quickly. Um, and then they sort of go through the process of a, a deep review f- to, to sort of top them up with, with the majority of their interview invites. Um, so, so we could look out for that. I, I anticipate seeing some Yale invites um, in that regard here pretty soon. Um, but yeah, we're probably talking another month um, before we start seeing the, the, the schools that release interview invites at a fixed time. Um, start to release them. I know um, Wharton's not scheduled till the middle of February, for example, but they're typically a week or two later than, let's say, Harvard. So I would anticipate towards the end of January for for a, a program like Harvard. Okay. Yeah. So it's still, and I know that's, it's really hard after you've applied because you, (laughs) it's like suddenly you have nothing at all to do, but you could be preparing for interviews. If you're an optimist, you could start thinking about that and perusing the clear admit interview archive to, to read reports from past candidates and see what they have to say about what it's like to interview. But you are right. I mean, some of these interviews, some of the interviews are, are starting to come out from those schools that do it on a rolling basis. So yeah, you got the likes of Kellogg that, you know, if you if you apply, you get an interview invite. So there are other programs that have more of an open um, invite um, process. And I think we have some homework to do because we're going to do a, we're going to record a one off episode about that Wharton uh, teen based discussion interview that people are going to be invited for. We have a little bit of time there, but yeah. you know, those invites come out, like you said, in February. So we're going to yeah. do that so people can stay tuned. Uh, other than that, Alex, over on the website, I wanted to talk to you about something. So, well, there, there are a few different things that have been going on. Number one is we've started up with our Real Numbers series, which is kind of a spinoff on Real Humans. But in this case, we just look at numbers from schools and just kind of aggregate them. So the first one or one of the ones that I saw go by on the website is about tuition. So we literally just publish a piece where we indicate what does it cost intuition to go to each of the top MBA programs. It's it's kind of, I mean, you could go to each school's website and dig these figures out, but as you might imagine, it's not in, in, in flashing lights on their homepage. You know, usually you have to dig a little bit. So we've got it all in one place and I think it's helpful to see. On a related note, Who's the most expensive? Oh man, I knew you were gonna ask me a question. And fortunately, I actually, um, I have the, the article up and I wanna say, I. Off the top of my head, I feel like Wharton was pretty expensive, but let me just take a look here. So this is interesting. Um, we've got, it looks like Washington University in St. Louis is 136K, uh, Stanford 124. I'm just looking for... Um, for uh, have UPenn, we not ordered it by expense, something that no, I 
requested. I know. It's um, it's ordered by alpha, uh, you know, alphabetical yeah, order. No yeah, we sense. should switch I'm it around. I'm sorry. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I love our team. We're a fantastic team. But yeah, if you're running numbers, they need to be ordered by the numbers that you're running. Yeah. So I will, yeah, we will talk to the team about that so that we can shift this around. But I think um, that number of that I cited from Washington University seems to be the highest. And this is, um, you know, kind of, it seems like it's based on, um, they're sort of taking what the current tuition is and doubling it, right? Because we don't necessarily know right. what what the fees will be next year. Like the schools typically announce that each year, right? So this is, you know, based on that. But in any event, um, it's it's interesting just to see what it's going to cost. And that's just tuition. So there are other fees that that come into play as well, like, you know, cost of living and, um, you know, get, getting an apartment, all that stuff. So uh, anyway, good stuff. We also, speaking of all these kind of costs and everything, I wanted to get your take on two things. One is the Wall Street Journal ran an article, this is over a week ago now, but it was an article about grad school and whether it pays to go back to school after you've completed university. And so they were looking at a lot of different um, academic disciplines, but they did speak a little bit about business school, um, and which traditionally has been one of those domains that has a pretty good ROI as compared to others. I think they talked about you know getting a master's in some obscure academic topic may not be um, the same return <laughs> on investment as an MBA. But, you know, there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of discussion about this because the economy may be heading south, there's been some layoffs. And, and so often people say, oh, go and go, go off to grad school. That's a really good move in a down economy. But the article was suggesting that, you know, is that the case still? And so I kind of wondered what your take was on this because, you know, we've seen pretty amazing career placement stats this past season that you and I've been reviewing but we don't know that, that those will hold. So yeah, I'm just curious what you think of all this. Yeah, I mean, like you say, if you compare it to the career reports that we've been reporting over the last um, several months, the ROI looks pretty good yeah. at the very top MBA programs. And I think sometimes, and I hate to be elitist, but you've got to distinguish between um, different levels of MBA programs. So right. a, a top you know, 16 program, top 20 program is going to provide you a better ROI than a program that's say in the 50s or, or, or 60s in ter terms of where they sit in the rankings. Um, so, so to be very clear, I think the ROI at top schools looks strong if you are using the career report data um, of, of of the most recent um, graduating class. I will put a big asterisk by that though, Graham, because I'm pretty nervous about all the sort of economic news that we're hearing Yeah. Um, in terms of the downward economy, the impact of the war in the UK, the impact of Brexit um, and sort of other sort of you know, the, the post-pandemic impacts and so on and so forth, that's created, I think, a recession that is not a recession that we've seen previously. And we have seen major tech firms have, you know, in, initiate layoffs because I think effectively they overhired mm -hmm. um, during the, the good times. But I read this morning about Goldman Sachs making some pretty significant cuts. So they're at the top of the tree on the banking side. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm a little bit nervous about the overall impact of some of these um, more recent 
um, news pieces. Yeah, it's tricky. It's kind of like timing the market, you know, because on some levels you could say, well, someone applying, you know, if they if, if they're just listening now and they're saying, oh, I'm going to apply next fall, um, they wouldn't start school till you know the fall of 24, and they would graduate in 26, right? So. Um, hard to know, like, what will their career report for the class of 2026 look like? Um, I think it's easier to know what the class of 2023's employment report will look like, which I would argue is going to be less good than the, than the class of 2022. Yeah. I think that's an easy argument to make that, you know, some of these layoffs, like you say, Goldman laying off a few thousand people that was announced. You, you alerted me to that this morning. So, yeah, I guess we'll see. But it is, um, I, I also could not agree more. One of the things that I struggle with when I read these articles is that they often lump everything in together. So whether you're getting your MBA at some, you know, unknown kind of state university in the middle of America versus Harvard, there's a big difference, right? So um, yeah, and I would encourage people to go, I mean, some schools make all this stuff available. You can go back in some instances and look at what was the placement like, you know, in 2008 or 2009, um, to get a handle because it's not like in the recessions, MBAs don't get any jobs. Um, right. you know, most of these schools are still placing a lot of their students, even often, you know, well north of 80%. So what we're seeing now is like 97, 99% of students, you know, with a job within three months, I seem to recall back in the, you know, really rough days of the, um, recession. And, you know, after the financial crisis, we were still north of 80%, even 85%. So, it's yeah, and that's in three months. Obviously, you know, beyond that, people are still finding work, and so yeah, tough call. But this is it will, it's an evolving thing. We'll get to keep talking about it, I guess. <laughs> one one thing that would be very interesting, Graham, is to get a, a read on the internship hire situation of programs right now, and how that sort of um, you know yeah. impacting these current classes. Maybe that's something we can do a little bit of investigation into. Yeah, that would be really good to know because that'll be a leading indicator, totally. Um, So, all right. So we could also even look into returning offers. So like people who interned this past summer, have they converted those into full-time offers at the consulting firms and and other places? Or or are those firms trying to kind of cut back a little bit? Back to my my so, my thought, you need to get someone on on a podcast from one of these top schools that works in career management. Yes, give us the skinny. Yeah, I'm gonna try to do that. I actually, totally forgot that you said that last week, <laughs> or maybe it was two weeks ago. I gotta I gotta make a note. Um, so I will do that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that since everyone's on the wires, uh, on LiveWire and and you know Flywire and stuff, while they're waiting for decisions, people are posting their profiles, looking for feedback. Don't forget to like other people's posts and comments because those likes accumulate and people earn stars. I think you can have a maximum of three stars if you've had a whole bunch of likes um, granted to you. So it's just a way to earn kind of authority points on the website. And Alex, I suggest that we roll out our contest again where we do kind of rewards for people who earn stars. I think in the past we've done like Amazon gift cards or free publications that we do so what do you think? Should we do that again? I, I, I want to go back and find out what we did last year, but we should do it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, let's kick on. Yeah. All right. So um, other than that, we've got our events coming up on February 1st and 8th. They're for college students or people currently in a master's program who are looking to go to a top MBA program via the deferred enrollment path. And I'm super excited because we have Berkeley, Tapper, Wharton, Darden, Yale, Columbia, Chicago, Stanford, MIT, and Harvard Business School all joining us on those two dates. Um, I think we split the schools five on one day, five on the other. And you can sign up at bit.ly forward slash defer23. And those events are at noon Eastern on February 1st and 8th. 
So join us if you are a younger candidate out there. Um, you can also always email Alex and I with your questions. Just write to info at clearadmit.com and use the subject line wiretaps and we will write you back. I think we've got a perfect track record in that category. Um, but Alex, other than that, did you have anything before we get into this week's uh, applicants that we're going to review? No, let's kick on. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. All right. So you have chosen, Alex, an apply wire entry, and this candidate is applying to start next fall. They've got five schools that they've applied to, uh, Columbia, Dartmouth, Duke, MIT, and Yale. And this candidate has worked uh, in both investment advisory and in private equity investor relations. They've done two years in each of those domains. They want to get into asset management after business school. And the companies that they would love to work for are BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan Asset Management. And I guess that's that's all they listed here in this um, form. They've got a GMAT score of 730. Their GPA, 3.67, and as I said, two years and two years, so four years total of work experience. They would love to land in the Northeast of the US, and they did share some additional notes. They said they're 26, um, they're an Asian American male, and they want to transition to public equity asset management, like hedge funds, and you know they went to undergrad at a top 50 US news type um, from the US news rankings and that they majored in finance and accounting. So what do you make of this candidacy and their chances and stuff? Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, uh, their overall profile looks pretty um, um, pretty solid for top programs, I think, right? I mean, their counting stats are very strong. Yeah, 730 GMAT, that's the, the median at the very top programs. Um, 367 um, GPA um, from, from a what presumably is quite a decent school Mm -hmm. um with four years of experience two years investment um you know two 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 years investment advisory and then moving over to private equity investor relations so it sounds like their career is super strong um the only thing that i i wonder a, a little bit about this profile is you know making sure that they're able to stand out from probably what's quite a strong um caliber of folks that are coming from similar types of background yeah. so they do some stuff with sports leagues i'd be curious sort of what that really means um but and, and so forth i mean are they playing sports are they coaching sports are they um watching sports <laughs> i think it's playing yeah and like in these impromptu leagues right they mentioned tennis kickball and cornhole which cornhole is a you know kind of a fun <laughs> a fun game but but yeah i'm guessing they're playing in some kind of an informal you know intramural type or you know some sort of league for young people in their city is is my guess but right. yeah it'd be good to know how involved they are like you say yeah yeah and actually that that sort of you know e- even if it doesn't show a, a strong sort of community type commitment which we like to see in in um, candidates. It certainly shows an, an aspect of their personality and so on and so forth that they like to get involved in this type of stuff, um, and 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 so forth. And and Adcom are going to like that. Um, yeah. And again, it seems like their work experience is really, really pretty strong. And they they're also a participant on a board that oversees a company that that I presume. Um, their their business has, has bought into and, and, and stuff. So at, at the end of the day, I think this is a pretty strong profile. I just want to know that they stand out. They, their ideal um, target here is Columbia, Graham. And, and I did pull them up on this. Like, why 
if that is the case, why they didn't apply early decision, because that would have given them a, a, a better leg up, I think. Colombia gets a little twitchy, people applying this time of year, um, with, with <laughs> yeah. you know, even with good profiles like this. Um, so, so, you know, yeah, if, if, if they were targeting Colombia early decision, I'd be a little bit more confident. Um, but they said that they needed to drive up their GMAT score. Um, so I assume that this 7.30 on the GMAT is after um, multiple tests, yeah. which, which again is very good. So I'm really, you know, it's good to have gotten that. And I think they're very competitive for, for the, you know, the, several of the programs are, they're applying. Is Columbia a reach? Possibly, given that they're not applying early decision. Sloan is obviously also very um, um, competitive that they're targeting, but they're also targeting in the tier behind that. So I'm thinking that they should um, land um, somewhere this season, Graham. Yeah, I would hope so. I, you know, it's funny. I had the exact same thought as you when I heard that they're working in finance, that they studied, you know, undergraduate business with a finance and accounting background. Male. I'm kind of guessing they're in the Northeast. I mean, I, we don't know for sure, but just given the work that they've done and where they want to be afterwards. And so I was starting to think, you know, Asian American, like there are a lot of boxes they tick that, like you say, might be harder to stand out in. Yeah. And so I, that was my one fear. Yeah. So I'm hoping that they were able to, you know, kind of bring their kind of tennis kickball and all that stuff to life as well as, yeah, they're, they're sitting as a, as an observer on a board of a tech company. I do presume that to be a work, but it's an interesting role that they have. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I do like that they have a somewhat unusual focus for their career path. Like they want to do asset management. You know, we see a lot of people want to do investment banking or um, private equity or uh, obviously consulting and tech and stuff. So this is a little less common and it's obviously fits with the work they've been doing. So I think, you know, as you said, I feel like of the schools they've applied to, they should land somewhere. But I would agree with you that Columbia and MIT will probably be at the reach end and, and that, you know, they're going to, it's, it's not a slam dunk for them to get into the others either. But I, you know, again, they have the right numbers. They, they should be in contention. And so hopefully with good execution on their file, um, their essays and stuff, things will come through for them. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Columbia and, and Sloan are, are, are such a reach that it's whatever. I think they're within range. But as you mentioned, what makes them stand out from a group of candidates with reasonably similar profiles, very strong programs, but reasonably similar. So, so is that what stands out? So whether it's some of their interests around sports leagues or, or whatever it might be, yeah. um, I'd like to see that come out just a little bit more. But yeah, no, I think, and, and they've, they've been, you know, pretty deliberate about their, their school choice, you know, their targets. So I think that's very good. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I want to thank them for sharing their profile. Hopefully this advice was useful. We had some good back and forth on the site as well with them. So um, there you have it. Uh, so let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. Uh, so this is an apply wire entry that we received from a candidate who, again, wants to start school this fall. They've applied to Berkeley, Cornell, Iese, Michigan, Kellogg, and Chicago Booth. They, their pre-MBA career has been in mergers and acquisitions, consulting, strategy, business development, I guess doing all that with a publicly traded financial uh, services firm. And post-MBA, they want to be an entrepreneur. 
and they get into some details on exactly what they mean by that, which I'll explain in a moment. But in terms of their uh, stats, their GRE is a 320 and their undergraduate GPA is a 3.19. They've got five years of work experience. They're located in Chicago and they mention in the notes that their post MBA goal is to launch a search fund to acquire and grow an existing small business. And they, you know, they mentioned they've had really good work experience. Um, they, I guess they think that that's going to translate to strong recs and such. They um, know about the kind of entrepreneurship through acquisition ecosystem that, you know, particularly in Chicago where they're, where they're located and particularly in terms of what's going on at Kellogg and Booth in that domain. They also did mention that they passed CFA level one and they completed MBA math. So. I don't, you know, just for those who are tuning in who don't know what this is, um, because I didn't before I went to business school, a search fund is when you raise money, um, you convince investors to give you money to go and buy a small business. So, you know, you kind of often you give the kind of investors a sense of what you're looking for. Like, I want to buy a company or companies in this domain, um, but you're sort of selling them on your ability to buy and you know operationally streamline or eke extra profits out of a business and so that's what this person wants to do post mba it's interesting because it's not usually the first job that someone might have post mba i mean it happens but it's you know it's it's a bit less common i see a lot of mbas do it you know a few years after they've worked and, and things post mba but what do you make of all this alex I'm glad you explained to me what a search fund is, Graham, because I think we might have even had this conversation before on this podcast. But A while ago, maybe, yeah. It, it is uh, you know, something that's, like you say, not that common, and especially coming directly out of yeah. um, the MBA rather than a few years um, hence. Um, and, yeah, it seems to me that, um, you know, for, to, to be successful – in, in sort of creating an, 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 a search fund and so forth, you, you've got to really build out your personal reputation um, and so forth, which right. is, is you know, probably a good reason why people don't typically do it directly after the MBA, but a, a few years post. But it does look like their work experience has set them up for this. Um, so, so, you know, to date in terms of what they've done, um, so, so, I mean, hopefully, um, it makes sense for them, but they're going to have to really, um, uh, make that argument, um, that they are ready, yeah. um, for, for this. I mean, they say they have strong work experience with national impact and work with business owners, advising them through the sale of their businesses. So they've worked in that sort of ecosystem, yeah. um, and, and so forth. And they've probably built up a pretty good network, which is good. I would assume very important when you're fundraising for your for your own personal brand, basically. So all that's good, and, and so let's assume check really good work experience, check really good um, at, at extra sort of in you know other stuff. So they're an associate board member at a foundation, which fits with their personal story. Um, Adcom's going to like that. Um, so so let's assume those two are checked as, as being. Um, on, on the very stronger end, um, even for top programs. The bigger concern, I think, here, Graham, is the combination of their 319 GPA and their 320 GMAT, uh, G, GRE, um, sorry. Yeah. Um, that sort of combination of those two um, are going to make Adcom a little um, queasy, especially with someone with such ambitious goals. Um, now, they've done MBA math, um, so, so that's, um, that's good. They explain their GPA 
being light because they had to work whilst um, doing their undergrad, which I completely, well, we I shouldn't say I, we, we would completely understand. Yeah. So, so they need to explain that. They also took several leadership roles as an undergrad. So that's good. But then in the back of my mind, I'm questioning, um, you know, priorities and stuff like that. Did they get their priorities right? Were they spending more time on the extracurriculars and harming their educational experience as a result. Mm. So they're gonna have to sort of navigate that sort of balance um, there a little bit. I would like to see a better GRE to sort of overcompensate Graham and the 320 definitely gives me pause at at, at this point. Yeah, I mean, that was the big thing for me is, um, you know, number one, setting up a search fund post MBA, kind of an, an, you know, ambitious goal, which is fine, but then, Looking at their stats, I was sort of like, wow, they've got some, you know, big names on their target list in terms of schools that they're looking at. Mm. And their stats, both GRE and GPA, fall well below the average at these programs. Now, they do have ESA on their list um, in Spain, which, you know, if this is an American candidate, you know, sometimes the European schools will, you know, they're drawn towards taking Americans because there aren't as many, right, going over to Europe. And so maybe these stats could get them in there. Um, even though they're, you know, they are south of the averages, even at, at, at ESA too, but it's possible, you know, that they have an extra feather in their cap as an American kind of going over to ESA. But then I would say, if you graduate from ESA, and then you're going to come back to the US and try to convince investors to give you all kinds of money to raise a search fund. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I just kind of think that's you because to raise a search fund, you either need to have an amazing entrepreneurial track record that you know, you can show that you're, <laughs> you know what you're doing. Um, or at minimum, maybe a, a really incredible network um, in the market that you're raising money in um, to buy a business. So now maybe this person wants to raise their funds in Spain and and start a business and buy a business in Spain, in which case that could explain why it's on the list. But yeah, it's just there were a number of kind of red flags for me. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I if I had my druthers, I would have said to this person, you know, you need to, co- to counter a 3.19 GPA, you need a high test score. And so go back and take that test until you're way above the average at your target schools and then come into this process. And, and I think they have a really interesting story. Like you said, I mean, they're doing good outside activities. Um, they're also, you know, doing, um, they came from a middle-class family of 10, right? So, so that's why they had to kind of fund their way through school and, and that impacted the GPA. So they, they have a story they can tell. Um, but I'm just a little nervous about that test score. Yeah. So if they come back next season into the first round with, let's say, a three, three twenty-eight, three thirty on the GRE, they really blew it out of the water. Right. That does start to push them at a different level, I would think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's really tricky. I mean, I do. You, what do you think about a different short-term goal? Like, I, I'm trying to think of what would be a good intermediate step rather than search fund right away. Yeah. I mean, that's that's quite possible. And if if it's you know whether it's a, a, a shorter term goal on the investment banking side because they want to really hone up their finance um, you know, toolkit or on the consulting side because they just want to broaden their, their sort of um, business experiences. Um, so, I mean, they, they could make an argument, I suppose, Graham, for either way, right? Yeah, I yeah, I t- totally. I think that it could be a, an interesting thing to consider. Again, let's keep our fingers crossed that they get some good news um, in this admissions cycle. But yeah, it's just, um, if, if, if they have to reapply, yeah. we, you know, we could revisit <laughs> like what's the right strategy and test score and all that. But yeah, so we'll see. So interesting candidate though, just because of a unique set of goals and, and also it's, you know, kind of, uh, 
um, you know, this sort of struggle with the GPA GRE combo. Yeah. So yeah. Um, in any event, let's move on. I want to thank them for their post. Let's move on though and talk about wiretaps candidate number three. So for our third candidate this week, Alex, you picked a decision wire entry and I love reviewing these. I love kind of debating people's decisions. So this person applied to Berkeley, uh, Tuck, uh, Duke, NYU, and UNC. And they were admitted to Berkeley with an $80,000 scholarship. They also got into Duke, which offered them $60,000, and to Keenan Flagler um, at UNC, which also offered them $60,000. So they're going to start school this fall, and they're trying to decide where to go. And their post-MBA career is investment banking. They would love to work for Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, or you know, a firm similar to those. Their GRE score, just for those of you keeping score at home, is a 322. And they indicate, I'm undecided between these schools. I'm an international candidate, and I intend to recruit for investment banking. So, Alex, how do you, how would you go about breaking this down in terms of these these three schools? And you know, again, it's Haas with 80 grand, Fuqua with 60, and UNC with 60. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, you look at the different tiers. I think Haas probably just sits just a little bit above Fuqua, um, and Fuqua's in a tier above um, Keenan Flagler. So if you just purely base it off of that, um, then that, that's one way to, to look at it. And and ironically or oddly, Haas is actually giving them a little bit more money than Fuqua. Yeah. Um, so, so you would think, well, actually, Haas has got to be the winner here, right? Now... So that's just one way of sort of cutting cutting the, the, the decision. <laughs> then we've got to focus on, well, they want actually investment banking. So so that might then steer them more towards, do they want to be on the East Coast or do they want to be on the West Coast, post directly post-MBA? Um, and, you know, you think of investment banking, you think New York City, if that's kind of the, their draw, um, then to me, that really does tip the hand towards um, Fuqua and Keenan Flagler potentially over Haas um, if New York City is, is the draw for them. Um, and if that's the case, then um, Fuqua as, as the school in the higher tier um, um, offering the same money as uh, Keenan Flagler, Fuqua just makes a lot more sense. I mean, basically, Graham, Fuqua wins for me in a lot of different scenarios unless they want to do investment banking in the tech sector in San Francisco. Yeah, I think you did a good job of breaking it down. And I, I mean, our, our um, colleague, Elliot, who responded to this post on Decision Wire, you know, he gave some stats, right? He said that, you know, Look, Keenan Flagler actually sends the most into financial services, but when you get into looking at investment banking specifically, it's sort of, you know, um, Duke that seems to um, lead the way, right? So, yeah. um, or, or they're, they're really similar, Duke and, and UNC, when it comes to the percentage going to iBanking, but Berkeley doesn't break it out, right? So, but Berkeley does have a lower percentage of people going into financial services than the other two schools. Um, so, yeah, like you say, if they want to be on the West Coast, they want to do banking in San Francisco or something, then, you know, Berkeley's the, probably the highest ranked school and giving them the best money. So you would say, yeah, that makes sense. And, and, but, but like you also pointed out, you know, if they want to do, do it, I banking in New York or something, then Duke starts to really rise, um, in the ranks here and the money's not that different. Um, in fact, <laughs> you could argue that 60 K to live in Durham 
versus 80 to live in Berkeley is, is yeah. kind of a wash, right? That's California. a good point. And, you know, yeah. So, so I, I think it's a similar offer. And so, yeah, I mean, I would do my due diligence if I were this candidate. I would definitely look into placements, talk to alumni, and just see what, you know, what they hear on the ground. And I also think there's a cultural thing too. Yeah. I mean, they're really different schools. Um, I've been to both campuses and they're, they're both lovely and they're great. <laughs> they're both great schools, right? But one is, you know, um, in the heart of kind of Silicon Valley with access to a major city um, on its doorstep and, you know, that kind of vibe. And then the other is, you know, kind of a little bit more of a small community. Um, I mean, Durham's big, but it's, you know, the campus is uh, somewhat nice and secluded and, you know, you have more of a, there's the research triangle with Chapel Hill and Raleigh. And so it's just a smaller um, community vibe than say, you know, being at a place like Berkeley. So they need to figure that out and what they want out of the program and stuff. So, but yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, first of all, we should congratulate them. I mean, they got in to almost everywhere um, that they applied and they got some pretty substantial dollars. So it's a nice outcome for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they did very well. So congratulations to them. But I think we are suggesting overall, it probably looks like Fuqua. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah agreed. So, um, Alex, thanks as always for picking these out, um, and for having some impromptu <laughs> chatter about the value of the MBA and the kind of current economy and yeah. everything that's, that's going on, um, swirling around us. Um, but in any event, we'll do it all again next week if you're willing. And, uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll see you in a week. <laughs> Very good. Best luck, everyone. Stay safe.